0: Um, last week we started this series called Brave. Um, we are taking a couple months and working through the book of Esther. Um, Esther is a great book. You can, if you want to find it in your Bible, if you got a Bible, um, if you got like a a phone or a device, you'll find it easily. But if you're in an actual Bible, right, you want to go to the middle of that Bible, that's probably going to be Psalms. And then two books to your left will be Esther. Um, Esther was my go-to book as a youth pastor when I had kids walk up to me and say, I don't like to read the Bible because the Bible's boring. I'd say, you need to read Esther because one, it never says God two, there's murder, three, there's really like man, manly men, and four, there's like sex. So you need to read Esther, right? And they'd come back and go, this is fantastic. Like, is every book in the Bible like that? No, p- probably not, but, um, but this one is. So we're in Esther. We're calling it Brave um, because this is kind of, we're, we're going to find the courage to understand what God's destiny is for us and to kind of step into it. Now, let me recap last week. If you weren't here last week, we were in Esther chapter 1. And we met a king named Xerxes, and King Xerxes was a bad man, okay? So we learned last week that there are bad people. Um, king Xerxes was a bad king, and he made bad decisions because bad people make bad decisions, right? And so what we learned was if we're reading it from a distance and going, hey, King Xerxes, he's a bad king. He made bad decisions like he threw this six-month kegger, right? That's, that's impressive, right? Like, I'm opening up my house. He was so powerful. He was the king of the world. Like it talks about all these provinces that he ruled over. And in that day, that was the world. So he's king of the world. And he rules over it. And he is so powerful that he's able to call all of his army and military officials into his castle and say, look, we're good. We rule the whole world. So we're going to take six months We're going to come off the battlefield and I'm going to open up the bar and you can drink whatever you want, however you want, how often you want, whatever. And I'm covering the tab. And how many of you know that when you get military men testosterone in a room for six months and give them all the alcohol that they want, nothing good's coming out of that, right? So we learned last week that this bad king started making some really bad decisions. And the biggest decision he made was to call for his wife, Queen Vashti, and she was having a separate party with the wives. And he said, hey, in his drunken stupor, after six months and a week of all the alcohol he could ever want, he said, hey, call my wife and have her come in wearing her crown. I want to display her beauty. And that sounds so sweet, doesn't it? All the men are like, I've been looking for a Hallmark card that says that. Wear your crown so I can display your beauty. But what he really meant was, only wear your crown so that I can display your beauty, right? And it's like, we talked about this last week. How many of the women in the house are like, uh, no, right? And so for years, pastors have thrown Queen Vashti under the bus and said she was wrong. She was in the wrong place. She refused the king. And so if you're a good Christian, a good church-going person, you've been taught to never refuse the king. But what we learned last week is she was noble. And she said what all of the women in his house would have said. I ain't coming out wearing just a crown so that I can be gawked at by a bunch of testosterone-driven, drunk, for-six-month military men. Ain't going to happen. No way, no how. And so he made a bad decision. He booted her off the throne. Now, listen. That's a great story. What we learned last week is this. Bad kings make bad decisions, and bad kings bow to a better king. The better king is King Jesus. And that's really good news because if we're honest, you don't look at them right now, but you can check the people next to you with your eyes like that. We're sitting on our own thrones. We're running our own lives, and we're making really bad decisions. And we, have, we bow to a better king. God is he's a better king than that. And that's such good news for us. So here's what's going to happen in chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to kind of pick the story up. And we're going to see kind of what's happened to King Xerxes since last week. What's happened since chapter 1. He kicks her off the throne. He says, let's replace her. Um, I don't like that trophy wife. She didn't do what I wanted. So now we find him in chapter 2 of Esther. And here's the first sentence. It says this. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided. Listen, here's the deal. We're going to talk about these three aspects of bad choices. I want you to know why Esther is such an important book for you. Because people make bad choices all the time, right? Now, maybe you can't relate to that because you've never made a bad choice, but I've got some pictures just to prove to you that people make bad choices. Here's, here's the first one. Not that one. We got it? There we go. I don't know where this Baptist church is. Um, God does not make mistakes. How do you like your mistakes? Medium, medium rare? How do you like yours? (laughs) Yeah. I'll give you a second to see if you catch that one. Is there a state in the Union called Mississippi? I think it's Mississippi, isn't it? So Mississippi's literacy program may be showing improvement, but... They were way down when they started, apparently, right? Because isn't it M-I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, cro- there's two sets of, yeah, okay, let's just see what else we got. So you're the contractor, right? And they call you and they say, look, we need you to ins- install a security camera and a system so we can catch crooks and then this is what you get. Um, that's a really boring security feed, isn't it? Yeah, I think we got another if we just (laughs) can we just keep it here for a second. (laughs) Now, women, women in the house, this is foreign to you. You'll never walk into a woman's bathroom and see this, and thankfully neither will men. Men, I'm just a question. One, I'm guessing no man in here is using those urinals. And two, if the men were to use them, we would somehow make a game out of it, wouldn't we? Somehow. I don't know how that would work, but um, eh, I think I just made a mistake. Um, And and then we've got one more. Yeah, shoplisters will be prostituted. I don't think that's what they meant. I don't think they meant that. But um, anyway, wow, so... So we all make mistakes, we all make bad, bad choices, and so we're going to kind of work through these three, these three truths about choices, three things about choices I want you to get today, and it starts in chapter 2, verse 1 of Esther, when it says, later, when the king had subsided, when his anger had subsided, that word later, um, let's talk about the regret of bad choices, okay? If, this is when regret happens, isn't it? Regret doesn't happen when you're making the choice, right? It happens later. And and how much later is this? People aren't totally sure. Um, It could be three to four years. So three to four years after King Xerxes boots Vashti off the throne, later, three to four years later, he starts to have regret. It says that he starts to remember what he had done and what she had done. And if you remember from last week, what he decreed about her was she could not be on the throne any longer, and it was written in the law of the, the Medes and Persians. And what that meant was it could not be revoked. So like, again, he thinks he's king of the world, and so what he says goes, right? I don't want that to be true about my life because I say a lot of stupid things, and I say something one day, and then later I'm thinking that was a huge mistake. But he thinks he's invincible, right? So what I say goes. And so when he says he remembers Queen Vashti, what he said to her, what he did to her, and how it could not be revoked, he's having some regret. And in that meantime, three to four years, here he is, King Xerxes. He's gone out to his greatest accomplishment in military was going to take place during these years. And again, not that I've seen the movie 300. I don't even know if you should watch it, if it if it was like the TV version. But if you've seen that movie, that's the story of King Xerxes. And that's the story of King Xerxes in between chapter 1 and chapter 2, going out with his military to fight against the Greeks. It was going to be his greatest accomplishment, and he got crushed. So here's a man who has booted his wife to the curb, gone out to, be a, to, to win and, uh, against his greatest enemy, He's going to have this great conquest, he gets destroyed, and he comes back, and the men here can relate to this, and all he wants is just like somebody to console him, because he just got his butt kicked. And he realizes in chapter 2, verse 1, wait a second, I don't have a queen. I used to have a queen. Maybe he starts to think, I was an idiot for asking her to come out with just a crown. What was I thinking, right? Have you had those moments where you're kind of like, regret is you wake up the next morning and you're like, what'd I do? Right? I mean, let's, should we get real? Like, this is when you wake up next to a toilet. This is when you wake up in somebody else's house. This is when you wake up next to somebody and you're like, oh, oh no, that's, that's regret, isn't it? Man, and, and he's feeling that. So it's real. It's something that all of us struggle with. Wouldn't it be great if the regret of bad choices was enough to keep us from ever making another bad choice? Wouldn't that be great? Isn't it not true? It's not true. You know, you know how I know how many of you have ever been pulled over for, um, by a cop for speeding? Just uh, This is confession time. Go ahead. My hand's up. I, I'm raising everything I have, right? So here's how this works, isn't it? You're driving down the road, and you're not really meaning to speed, but you you got your jam on, and you are singing it, and you're rocking it, and all of a sudden, woo, 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 and what do you feel? Regret, right? Because the first thing you think is, oh, God, if I could just go back and slow down right? If I had just paid attention to that dude that was blinking his blinkers at me when he's coming the other direction, right? Why did I have my eyes closed at that moment? What was I thinking? That's called regret. And you pull over and you're never more close to God than when he comes up or she comes up and says, license and registration, please. And they walk back to their squad car. And while they're in the squad car, I'm sure playing solitaire, I don't know what else they do, but while they're doing that, what are you doing? You are calling out to God, Oh God, if you can just make it nine miles an hour over and not anymore, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Or if you could just poof, make the car disappear. Okay, let's go with prayer one, right? Like this is where you are and you're just like calling out to God and God, if you're real, if you are really there, you will take care of this. And then God, because God's very secure in who he is and does not need to prove it to you, allows the policeman to give you the ticket, right? And now you're really feeling regret, especially if you're married. Yeah. Okay, I'm taking her to her favorite restaurant. You know, I'm buttering her up. By the way, we're going to be paying $10,000 more in insurance. So you're still kind of feeling this regret, right? And so whenever he gives you your stuff back and you can pull away, how how fast do you pull away from the policeman? Slow. And you go five miles an hour under, not everybody, but most people go five miles an hour under the speed limit for how long? Until you can't see the cop. Right? Would it be great if the regret of bad choices was enough? to make us never make a bad one again, but it's not. And that's the second thing I want you to understand. This failure to learn is because of the second thing we know about bad choices, they're they're real. The reality of bad choices, the struggle, as we like to say, is real, isn't it? I mean, the reality of bad choices, we, we, we don't learn. I mean, what is that about us, right? We don't learn. We we regret it and then we make the same mistake again. How many of you remember a program called Scared Straight? Anybody here remember that? What was the purpose of Scared Straight? Somebody said, "Here's what we're going to do. I got a great idea. Prisons are getting full. Teenagers are stupid." So what we'll do is we'll get all the teenagers to go to the prisons and visit people in jail. And when they visit them in jail, they will see how horrific it is on the inside. And they will be so scared they will go straight and never make those decisions and never go to jail. Do people still go to jail? Yes. See, scared straight, it didn't empty our jails. Uh, this is prom season, right? So mock car crashes are happening right now. Um, They had a mock car crash where Parker and Will go to school. And I know about it because Parker took pictures because the makeup was amazing. And he's like, Dad, check it out. Like, this girl's face is going that way. Why do they mock mock car crashes? Because they're like, kids, look, prom's coming up. If you drink and drive during the prom season and you wreck your car, this could be you. Let me ask you a question. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but do people still drink on prom night? and drive do we still have promite tragedies almost every year the point here is man just the regret of bad choices does not stop the reality of bad choices some of you right now you can relate to that you can relate to king xerxes look what happens in verse two i'm gonna kind of go back and forth from chapter one chapter two make sure you see what's going on here then the king's personal attendants proposed, because again, King Xerxes is sad. He doesn't have a woman. He's in a bad spot. And this is what they proposed Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all those girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch. We talked about that last week eunuch, Google it, who is in charge of the women. And let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. So here's what they say. Your first trophy wife didn't work out. Let's get you another one. Let's go younger, more beautiful. Let's have the bachelor Persia. Right? And that's what's going on. So what what have they not learned? What is the king doing? the regret of bad choices, and now he's repeating the same bad choice. Well, let's go, let's do it again. I'll be smarter this time. We'll, we'll have a big, big pageant. I'll have tons to pick from. And sometimes we don't, we don't learn. And here's Xerxes. He's still using women for only what he can get out of them. He's still making the same bad choices. Let me ask you this. Have you been there? Have you um, found yourself going down the same path? And you end up saying stuff like this, um, God, this time I'll smoke less. I'll, I'll drink less. If this hits too close to home, I'm sorry, but I'll, this time I'll clear my browsing history better. These are not choices that we make because we're repenting. These are choices that we make because we got caught. Because we think if we could just be smarter the next time, it'll turn out better. But the reality of bad choices is it never works out better. 2 Corinthians 7.10, great verse. It talks about two different kinds of sorrow. It says that there's a worldly sorrow, which is us getting pulled over by the cop, right? That's worldly sorrow. Oh, I am so sorry. I will never do it again. Liar. That's worldly sorrow. And the Bible says that that leads to death. But then there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. What is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is not, I'm sorry that I got caught. It's, God, I'm sorry that I broke your heart. That changes everything, right? And when we realize this is something between me and God, I'm breaking his heart, that's what leads to change. King Xerxes here, he's struggling with the first kind of sorrow. This is worldly sorrow. It didn't work out so well the first time, so let's get smarter. Let's let's take an entire year and get the women as beautiful as possible. But you see, he's still doing the same thing he did in chapter 1. He's still basically saying to women, hey, just stand in here and let me look at you and make sure that you look beautiful enough. And if you do, then you're mine. He's doing the exact same thing he's always done. Nothing's different. Let's continue. A couple more people. And this is verse 5. We're going to meet a man named Mordecai. And if you're familiar at all with Esther, you know, like there's Xerxes, there's Vashti. We've already ta- met those two. Now there's Mordecai, and he's going to have um, a cousin named Hadassah, who is actually Esther, right? That's her name. And then we'll meet another guy later named Haman. So there's like five major characters, right? And if, you're, if you've grown up in church, um, then here's how you tend to read the Bible, if this is okay for me to say. We tend to read the Bible like there are good people and there are bad people in the Bible, okay? So the good people make good choices and the bad people make bad choices, and so we tend to read the Bible like we're the good people, right? Oh, Mordecai, man, he's awesome. Oh, Esther, gosh, she makes great decisions. But the reality of the Bible is this: the Bible says that there are bad people and there's a good God. That's the Bible. Okay, we make bad choices. Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful above all. Who can understand it? We make bad choices, and there's a good God. So Mordecai, if you've heard people talk about Mordecai, you're like, hey, he's a great guy. Here's what it says about Mordecai, verse 5. There was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive... With the king of Judah. Here's what had happened, just so you kind of understand what's going on here. He's in the family line of King Saul, a couple couple kings back for Israel. And so he's a descendant of Saul. And you're gonna meet a man later in the story who his name his name is Haman. He's a descendant of Agag. What a weird name, right? So Agag and King Saul, they were mortal enemies, right? Think Hatfield and McCoy right families that do not get along and so Saul and Agag were always at each other and now here we are a couple generations later and Mordecai came from Saul and Haman came from Agag and so guess what they're going to do not like each other right there's going to be some conflict he's in Susa with he has no choice in the matter because Nebuchadnezzar exiled all the Jews away from Jerusalem how many of you have ever been grounded in your life your parents were like you're grounded Okay, I was grounded for nine weeks one time. Bless my dad's heart. Nine weeks, I made a D. I deserved it, I'm sure. But nine weeks, no TV, no phone, no friends, just like I didn't have friends anyway, but whatever, no TV, no phone, go to school, eat, go to your room. That was my life for nine weeks. All I remember about that is it happened right in the middle of Miracle on Ice in the the Winter Olympics. I didn't get to watch that. Do you believe in miracles? I would if I could see it, right? (laughs) I'm not bitter at all about that. That's kind of like exile, right? Like when somebody, somebody more powerful than you says, you have to do this. And so the king Nebuchadnezzar said, all the Jews, you're banished, exile. And so part of that exile was Mordecai. The Jews ended up in Persia right here in Susa. But what you need to understand is this. Before this story, there was another king, his name was Sirius, and he actually decreed that all the Jews were no longer in exile, that they were free to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. In the Old Testament, to be in Jerusalem was to be near God, and to be far from Jerusalem was to be far from God. And so as much as we want to say Mordecai's a great dude, and maybe he was, what I know about him is this, he's a Jew who should be in Jerusalem, and he's not. He has chosen to live far from God, and that's not a good choice. So Xerxes is making bad decisions, and it's easy for us to go, well, he's a bad king, he's making bad decisions, but Mordecai is going to be like one of the heroes of the story, and he's making a bad decision. He's chosen to stay where he did not have to stay. And here's why this is such a big deal, because it affects Esther, his cousin, you know, last week we talked about how Vashti was affected by the bad decisions that Xerxes made. And this week we're going to see that Mordecai's making a bad decision. It's going to impact his cousin named Esther. Verse 7, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, which is Esther. Esther is her Persian name, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. Listen, here's what we know about this. She probably didn't have a choice. I mean, I don't know if this is really human trafficking, but that's pretty close to that, okay? This is a king who wants what he wants, and he says, bring me the most beautiful girls you can find, And so they go and they say, she's one of them, we're taking her. She should never have been there. She should never have been in the position to be taken. Mordecai made a bad decision to not go back to Jerusalem. And because he made that bad choice, the reality of bad choices, even good people make bad choices, the reality of that is, he's got a cousin who's like a daughter to him, who is now being abducted, taken by force into the king's harem. For one year, one year of her life gone because he made a bad choice. That's the reality of this story. She's taken away so she can be prepared for an entire year with beauty treatments. Look at verse 12. Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. She did all of that for one night. With the king. You ever um, waited in line at carowinds? Isn't that fun? Like You wait, wait in line for like eight hours and ride a ride for 30 seconds or something. Like That ride better be worth it, right? It better be good. Like maybe, I, I haven't ridden the Fury 325, but it better be good. Because I bet it's, anybody ridden that one? It better be good. Because I bet you're waiting in line a long time. A whole year for one night? Like, her entire life is hanging on one night with the king. That's a lot of pressure. And she's in that situation because of Mordecai. Skip down to verse 17. Her night finally comes. And this is what, this is what the Bible says. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other women virgins. Um, I want to make sure that I tread lightly here, okay? Again, this goes back to how we tend to read the Bible, and if you read, if you learned this story in Sunday school, then you believe, you see it one way. I, I think it might be a different way. Let's talk through this, okay? We don't know what happened behind closed doors with the king and Esther. Um, it's possible that, that she, was, um, she was raped it's, it's, that's one possibility. Here's another possibility, that nothing happened. Now, we know why the king wanted to have these women for a night, right? I mean, you're, this is the adult service, right? We know why that happened, right? He was, he wanted them all fixed up so that they could perform favors for him on a night. And if he liked that, better than anybody else, they get to be queen. That's the pageant that's going on, Okay. So we can say, hey, she had no choice, or we can do this. A lot of people, they like to water this one down, and they do this. Well, you know, she probably just walked in and won him over with her conversation. Okay, right. Um, So anyway, (laughs) probably what happened was, and I think this is so important. I love how this is in the Bible, okay? Um, She probably, the Esther that's in chapter 2, probably had to make a horrific choice that night because of the position that she was in. And what I love about it is the Esther of chapter 2 is not going to be the same Esther that we see later in the book. That she also grows over time. Aren't you so glad that we get to grow over time? Aren't you glad that you're not judged on your worst moments? How many of you know people that smile all the time? Do you believe it? (laughs) It's like, at first you're like, that's so sweet. They're always happy. And at some point you start going, I don't know if anybody can ever be that happy. Like, I never see them not smiling. And even if you want to believe it, don't you find yourself kind of going, I don't know. If the Bible only contained perfect people with perfect stories, the reality is we wouldn't believe it. But because God doesn't hide this stuff, we talked about this last week, like, sinners are the people God uses. Isn't that amazing? It's good news um, for you and me, right? He includes this stuff in the Bible. Like, we can relate to this. How many of us can relate to being put in a bad situation, having to make a horrible decision because you're in that situation? And here's Esther. Xerxes makes bad decisions, Mordecai makes bad decisions. It costs Esther, and she might have had to make a horrible decision. And at the end of all of that, what happens? She becomes queen. The end of verse 17 says, So he set a royal crown on her head. He made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet. How awesome is that one? it's named after you? For all his nobles and officials, he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces, National Esther Day, and distributed gifts with royal liberality. I love that. The king throws another big banquet. He calls it a holiday, he gives people tons of gifts, and she becomes queen. The end, right? Close the book, we're done. Except that's not the end. And here's what we're going to find. And this is such good news. The twist that's going to start taking place from verse 19 to the end of the book is unbelievable. Like one of those just like if you didn't see it, you wouldn't believe it happened, right? So many twists, so many turns, and what God's got to have is he's got to have his people in the right place at the right time. The same people who just made really bad choices. So we got the regret of bad decisions, Um, and a lot of you are like, I don't know if if it's even spiritual to have regrets. There's regrets, right? Like if you've made a bad decision, there's regrets. Can we show that one picture? Do we have the no regrets picture? There's regret, right? or regert. It's, a, it's real, right? But even with regurts, the regurts of bad choices, <laughs> there's the reality of bad choices, right? We still kind of like, God, oh, we're still making them. Why do I keep making them? And here's what I want you to go home with today. Not feeling bad for all that. I want you to go home understanding this third thing. There's the redemption of bad choices, Man, this is the good news. People make bad choices all the time. Not bad people, not dumb people, not people who don't go to church, just people. You're sitting next to people who make bad decisions. You have made bad decisions. We all make bad choices. And God does not shy away from that in the Bible. I love that. He shows Xerxes making a bad choice. Mordecai making bad choices. Esther making horrible choices. And he still is active behind the scenes. Do you get that? You see that? God's acted behind the scenes. He's putting her where she needs to be, even in spite of horrible, bad decisions. Your big idea says this: it says, Our choices will never limit God's options. Our choices will never limit God's options. It means that God's plan is never at the mercy of our plan. It means this, our mistakes can never paint God into a corner. I don't know if you've ever painted, but I did. And painting into a corner is like when you get so busy, like especially like painting a floor, and you, you're going for it, you're going for it, and then you get to the corner, and you're like, oh, crud. The doors over there, right? You can't walk from here to there because like dry spot, Wet paint door. (laughs) I I can't. It's a bad place to be. You you need to understand this, okay? There's a lot of freedom in this. Our mistakes will never paint God into a corner. He is not at the end of chapter 1, at the beginning of chapter 2, all the way through Esther going, What do I do now? What, what, What do I do now? He's too powerful for that. He's a sovereign God, high and lifted up. He can handle even your worst mistakes. Our choices will never limit God's options. Here's what we're going to find from this point on in the story of Esther. Even though there were Jews in Susa that should not have been there, the God of the Jews is still working in Susa to set them free. He's still working to redeem them, He's setting the table. That's such good news. Let me answer one obvious question. Does this mean that we should just make bad choices because God's bigger than those choices? No. There's a verse I want to read to you and then we'll close. It's in Romans. Paul was writing to the Romans and he said this at the end of chapter 5, verse 20. He said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so Paul was smart. He wrote that and he knew what the Romans were thinking. They were like, sweet, right? That means like if sin's increasing and grace increases more, I can sin some more and there'll be more grace. I can sin even more. And it's like, this is fantastic. This is like like Catholic Church. I just go do what I want, make sure I get to confession, I'm good to go, right? That's not the point. And so Paul says. Should we sin so that grace might increase? He says, "Absolutely not. By no means." Which in Hebrew is like something is like no, but there's stuff before it I can't say in church, right? It's like emphatically no. Do not sin so that grace can increase. Do not make bad choices just so that God can prove He's more powerful than His bad choices. Just know that you may make bad choices. Probably will. And God is never in a corner going, now what? He's too powerful for that. That's such good news. (laughs) Esther is not a story about free passes to make bad choices. It's about a a merciful redeemer who reigns over us even when we make bad choices. His redemption allows us to grow from our past. There's a, a great phrase. I love this. We'll see this in Esther. The fact that God can redeem bad choices means that your past may explain you, but it will never define you. You get that? It may explain you, but it will never define you. He's too powerful for that. Our choices will never limit God's options. Man, that makes all the difference for people like you and me. Here's how I want us to close this morning, okay? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Give yourself some time with God right now, okay? You're going to hear some, they're going to play some music over the, over the system. I just want to give you the chance to kind of think through choices. The reality of this is that some of us in the room have made bad choices, and we can, re- we can relate to the regret. You can relate to the regret. Some here are still wrestling with regret over decisions you might have made years ago. God, you'll never use me. You'll never use me like you would have if I hadn't done X, Y, Z. If I'd never met that guy, that girl, if if things had not gone so fast, so wrong, maybe right now you'd be using me more. That's regret. And you just need to know this this morning, that God's bigger than your choice. He's not up in heaven scratching options off your life because you made a bad choice. He's more powerful than that. Man, the next few weeks in Esther, you're going to be, you're going to see that. You're going to be more and more convinced of how powerful God is. And I want this morning to be a day that you can be set free from that regret, where you can know the redemptive power of God. Some of you are here this morning, and just like last week, you're, you're kind of, you're wrestling with the reality of bad choices. Either you keep making them, or other people keep making them, they keep affecting you, but you're still, you're dealing with that. And I want this morning to be a chance for you just to, you're just going to raise your hand and say, that's me. No one's looking around, just me and God. Just that's me. I want you to pray for me. Thank you. Anybody else? We've got hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. This is a place where you can meet a God who is greater and more powerful than your worst day. And I want to close today praying for you. Lord, I thank you for what we're learning, you know, in Esther to this point. It's crazy. Not even to the the crazy twists and turns of the story yet, but man, can we relate? Can we relate? I mean, I look back over my life and it's just like, I cannot believe in spite of all those choices, I'm still standing where I am today. It is not because I got smart. It's because you are sovereign. You are powerful. You have a plan, and I cannot mess that up. And I pray right now for those that raise their hands all over this room, God. You know, that that might have been the heaviest arm to lift up because regret is like that. It's so hard. God, I'm praying right now that they would see the freedom in you. More powerful than what they could get from a counselor or a book or a conversation. Those are all good things, God. But just this one moment with you. I, you know, Esther's whole life turned on a night with the king. And I'm praying right now for those that raise their hands that their entire destiny could, could change and hinge on this one moment with the real king. God, you could just speak a word to their heart and simply say, Free, you're free. Because I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than your worst day. I'm bigger than your worst mistake. And I'm bigger than the ones that you'll make going forward. You cannot outsend me. You cannot send my plan into a corner. You can't do it. I'm too powerful. And I'm so thankful, God, that your strength is seen in this book that never even mentions your name. And if we could see your strength in this book, how much stronger are you everywhere else, God? This is what we need. God, I pray that we would walk out of this place this morning with our heads up. Not because we're all that, but because you are. That we would see your power and your might and your majesty. And it would change, God, the way that we walk before you and men. Let us take this message to the city of Albemarle, to 16,000 people that need to know that there is hope beyond regret. There is a king who is not thwarted by our mistakes. And we will give you praise and honor for that, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.